0: If you have your Bibles there, you can turn to Joel chapter 2, and we're going to get right in uh, to this message today. Now, uh, I am known kind of for marriage and, you know, speaking on marriage and things like that, but one of my favorite topics in the Bible is the end times. I've studied it for over 40 years, and I've been preaching on it for 33 years, and it's just an absolute uh, thrill to me to be able to share with you. Actually, I'm preaching the next four weekends, but this is a five-part series and I'll finish this series up on Wednesday, June 17th in the equipping classes here on Wednesday evenings. But for the next four weekends, we'll be talking about this. This series is called Tipping Point, and the subtitle is The Imminent Prophetic Events That Trigger the End of the Age, and I believe these are happening right now. I don't just believe that we're living in the end times, I believe that we're living at the end of the end times. And I'm going to prove that to you through Scripture. But we see around us happening, today, by the way, the, the phrase tipping point means the critical point in a situation, process, or system beyond which a significant and often unstoppable effect or change take place. It just means you can't get it back. It has gone to a point where you can't get it back. And what I'm saying in the world that we're living in today, it's gotten to a point where it's gonna, it's gonna end. There's an end of the age that's coming. We're not gonna get it back. Israel in the Middle East, the rise of anti-Semitism we see around the world. The world economy is in crisis, America's $18 trillion in debt and growing very rapidly. The Cold War uh, escalating against Russia, China growing in military might and aggression. The moral disintegration of America, which I'll talk about more in this series. The rise of radical Islam and the threat of worldwide terrorism. This is what the Bible talks about in the end, that's what we're going to talk about in this series of messages, are the prophecies that are given in the Bible about the end times. Understand this, uh, about 30% of your Bible is prophecy, and most of it's end time prophecy. The Bible says more about our generation than any generation that has ever lived or ever will live. And you say, well, why would the Bible say so much about the final generation? Well, one reason is because there's more people alive on the earth right now that have ever lived in the history of the world before this generation. So there's more people alive. It it pertains to a lot of people. The other thing, this is the most severe time in human history. Jesus said, unless those days would have been shortened, no flesh would have survived. So we're living in a very severe time. Understand this, the only one who can foretell the future is the one who controls it. This is the only book in the world that foretells the future with accuracy. Other people may say that their religion is the right religion. Well, let them produce a book that can foretell the future. And the reason that we have a book that can foretell the future is our God controls the future. And thousands of years ago, he told us in detail what the end of the world would look like and it's happening right before our very eyes. Now this message today is called Israel at a Tipping Point. And we're gonna begin by talking about Israel because their existence is a phenomenal miracle that has taken place In our lifetime, and I know some of you are are younger than uh, when Israel became a nation, but it still is in the generation that Israel became a nation. And so their existence is a miracle, and they have to exist for the end to come. And they didn't exist for 2,000 years. And their rebirth in 1948 in one day was an answer to Bible prophecy and allowed the end to happen. Let's talk about some Bible facts about Israel to begin with. Number one, Israel is the only nation created by God. There has never been another nation created by God himself. In fact, Israel's existence is testimony to God's existence. This is Genesis chapter 12. This is how Israel began. The Lord said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed." And so this is where Israel started. They began by God. Number two, they're in an everlasting covenant with God, an everlasting covenant that still is in place today. Genesis 17. No longer shall your name be Abram, but you'll be called Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God." Now when you say the word Israel, Israel is a land and Israel is a people. And God says they both belong to him. He calls it his land and his people. Now a Jew can't be saved unless they receive Jesus Christ. But Jewish people are special by covenant. Let me say this before I go on in this message. God loves Arab people. God loves all people. But the Jews are special by covenant. And so you're not saved unless you receive Jesus Christ. But when you see a Jew, you need to bless that person. We need to be praying for Israel. We need to be praying for the peace of Jerusalem because they're a special group of people by covenant. Number three thing about Israel is Israel and the Jews have blessed the world more than any nation on earth. And this is, God said in Genesis 12, 3, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Well, is that true? Okay, well, here are the three gifts, just just three of the gifts that the Jews have given us. Number one, they gave us the most important man in human history, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our Savior is a Jew. I don't know how any Christian can be anti-Semitic, the word anti-Semitic means against the Jews, I don't know how any Christian could be anti-Semitic when our Lord and Savior is a Jew. I'm not, I didn't say he was a Jew, I said he is a Jew. Our Savior is a Jew. Number two, they gave us the most important book in the world, and every word in this book was written by a Jew. This is a 100% Jewish book that has given us light to live our lives by. The number three thing they gave us was the church. When the church started on the day of Pentecost, 100% of the people in it were Jews, and then they let us join the club. So they gave us the most important man in human history. They gave us the most important book in human history. And they gave us the most important organization in human history. Somebody say amen. Amen. So we bless the Jews. God has blessed all the families of the world through the Jewish people. Number four, truth about Israel. Israel is God's prophetic super sign. And stopwatch. This is Joel chapter two. And we're going to read a prophecy that is happening right now. This is an end-time prophecy that is in our news every single day and is happening in our generation. And this is Joel chapter 2, and this is concerning the end time. The sun shall be turned into darkness, Joel says, and the moon into blood, this is verse 31 of chapter 2, before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. That's the end, that's the final day, judgment. It shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion in Jerusalem there shall be deliverance as the Lord has said, among the remnant who the Lord calls. For behold, in those days and at that time, when I bring back the captives of Judah in Jerusalem, it happened in 1948, I will also gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. The name Jehoshaphat means Jehovah has judged. This is talking about Armageddon, the final scene of human history when all the nations of the world march against Israel to destroy it. I will gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, and I will enter into judgment with them there on account of my people, my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations. They have also divided up my land. So there are four things that match that passage to the day that we're living in. Number one, the rebirth of Israel in 1948 and the regathering of the Jews. In that day and at that time, when I gather my people from the nations, what God says, in God's mind, the end times began in 1948. And we know that because this is first person God speaking. He's saying, when I bring back my people from all the nations, Armageddon's going to happen in the same time frame. When I do this in that day and at that time, when I do this, I'm going to do this. When I bring back my people, I'm going to enter into judgment with all the nations of the world in the Valley of Jehoshaphat, in the Valley of Judgment, Armageddon. Number two thing that matches this passage with the day that we're living in is the division of the land of Israel. The United Nations has censured Israel and rebuked them more than all other nations of the world combined. They have labeled them as a racist state. The United Nations is clearly against Israel, which again is an end-time prophecy. But the UN and America have forced Israel to give up what they call land for peace, And Israel keeps giving up land, but there's no peace. When the Palestinians get the land, it's just a closer place for them to shoot a missile from. So Israel keeps giving up land. So in 2005, the United States forced Israel out of the Gaza Strip, their land, to give it to the Palestinians. Seven days later, Hurricane Katrina hit our Gulf Coast, and Jewish rabbis openly said that is God's judgment against America for making us divide up our land. But what God is saying here is happening in the day that we're living in. Right now, the United Nations and the United States of America are trying to force a two-state solution upon Israel. A two-state solution means we're trying to force them to recognize the Palestinians as a state. Let me say two things. Number one, the Palestinians are led by terrorists. Okay? Number one. Number two, the Palestinians will not recognize Israel's right to exist and have vowed their destruction. So why would you recognize someone who will not recognize you, and why are we trying to force Israel to give a bunch of terrorists their land? And not all Palestinians are terrorists, but they're led by terrorists. Now, I'm saying, God says in Joel chapter 2, when I'm going to bring back my people from all over the world, I'm going to regather them, and I'm going to enter into judgment with those people that are dividing up my land. And I'm saying, that land belongs to God, and that land belongs to Israel. They have a tiny piece of land, a tiny piece of land in the Middle East, and they can't even rest there. The world is trying to get them to give it up. And isn't it interesting that the Bible, our Bible, these prophecies written, many of them over 2,000 years ago, say that the final scene of human history will be the entire world marching against a tiny, tiny little nation in the Middle East. It's happening right before our eyes. It's in our news every day. Israel's hated by the entire world. The number three thing, and by the way, let me read Zechariah 12 before I go on because this is concerning Jerusalem. This is Zechariah 12. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness to all the surrounding peoples when they lay siege against Judah and Jerusalem. It shall happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all people. All who would heave it away will be surely be cut to pieces, though all the nations of the earth have gathered against it. That's Armageddon. Okay, Jerusalem be a very heavy stone. What does that mean? It means it is an impossible political situation Our our embassy, the United States Embassy is in Tel Aviv, even though the capital of Israel is Jerusalem. And the reason that our embassy and many other embassies are in Tel Aviv is because we will not recognize Jerusalem as as the capital of Israel because the Arabs want East Jerusalem as their capital. The Palestinians want East Jerusalem for their capital. And this is, this is being contested worldwide. And again, we are trying to force Israel to give up East Jerusalem to be the, the uh, capital for the Palestinians. And uh, Benjamin Netanyahu and the Israelis say this, Jerusalem is the eternal, indivisible capital of Israel. And so be it. That's the way it should be. But again, the United States and the world, Jerusalem has become a very heavy stone, an impossible political situation, which is a fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 12. The third thing that matches this text to the day that we're living in is the four blood moons of 1949 and 50, 1967 and 68, and 2014 and 2015. The sun shall be turned into darkness, And the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. So this passage tells us before the end is going to happen, God's going to advertise it in the sky. In 1949 and 1950, on Jewish holy days, there were a blood red moon, by the way, is a lunar eclipse. It turns the moon into red, into blood. And so in 1948, Israel became a nation. In 1949 and 50, there were four uh, lunar eclipses on Jewish holy days. In 1967, there was a six-day war, and Israel regained Jerusalem, all of Jerusalem, as their capital. And in 1967 and 68, there were four blood moons on Jewish holy days. In 2014, the blood moons began. We've already had three of them. We've already had one total solar eclipse on a Jewish holy day. And now this fall, on the Feast of Trumpets, we'll have a partial eclipse and in September, in the Feast of, of Tabernacles, we'll have a full lunar eclipse. But by the way, this was a supermoon. It's uh, when the moon is the closest point to the earth over Jerusalem, this Feast of Trumpets over the Middle East, there'll be a massive red moon that hangs over the Middle East, this Feast of Trumpets or this Feast of Tabernacles. So when the Bible says that the sun will not give its light and the moon will be turned to blood, that's happening. You say, well, how, how frequently does that happen? Before 1949, it didn't happen for 500 years before that. After this year, it doesn't happen for another 500 years. And so what we're seeing is God hanging an advertisement in the heavens that's saying, hey, I'm doing something special here. And this is what the Bible said would happen. Number four, worldwide anti-Semitism and the hatred of the United Nations for Israel. God says, I'm going to come into judgment on account of my people, my heritage, Israel. Israel. The way that you're treating my people. Well, is it true that there's anti-Semitism? Anti-Semitism is rising in America. Anti-Semitism is rising so much in Europe that Jews are having to move out of Europe to go back to Israel or come to the United States. All over the world, anti-Semitism is rising. And what I'm saying is, this is what the Bible says would happen at the very end of time. This is what Joel 2 says will happen right before Jesus comes. So God says... Behold, in those days, and at that time, when I bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem, I will also gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. In those days, and at that same time, when I do this, I'm going to do this. Here's what Jesus said uh, about uh, Jerusalem. This is Luke 21:24. "They will fall by the edge of the sword. He's talking about the Jews. And be led away captive into all the nations. The Jews were defeated in AD 70 by the uh, Roman Emperor Titus. He was Roman General Titus at that time. And they were scattered all over the world. And Jerusalem would be trampled by Gentiles, that's non-Jews, until the times of the Gentiles were fulfilled. You realize in 1967 when Jerusalem came back into the hands of the Jews, it announced that the age of the Gentiles was over. We've seen this happen in our lifetime, and Jesus prophesied it right here. The last days in God's mind began in 1948, and a single generation will see all end times events fulfilled. Now listen to me very carefully. Okay, so Jesus says, he was talking about the end times. Jesus said, assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away until all things take place. He was talking about the end times. Well, he wasn't talking about his generation, they all died. Well, people will say things like this. Jimmy, every, every generation has had signs of the end times. You're right, they have. They've had earthquakes, they've had famines, they've had some crazy leader that they thought was the Antichrist. You're exactly right. But the end generation won't have signs. They will have every sign. The Bible says that the end will happen in one generation. So the question is, how long is a generation? Psalm 90 verse 10 says, The days of our lives are 70 years. And if by reason of strength, they're 80 years. Well, if a generation is 70 years, let's just say 2018 is the 70th year after uh, Jerusalem or Israel became a nation again. And I'm not setting dates. I'm just telling you that this is what the Bible says. Jesus said this generation that sees the beginning of the end will see all things fulfilled. The end times are a compressed period of time in God's mind. And what's happening in Israel right now is proof. I want to talk about just for a minute Israel's tipping point and what's about to happen. Now, we know what's about to happen in the world because we have a book that tells us all about it. Now, next week I'm going to talk about the rapture. A lot of the stuff that's about to happen, we won't be here for. Jesus is coming, we're going. Anybody excited about that? This is a stinking, rotten, dirty world. It's perverse, it's corrupt. And Jesus is going to take us to marry him, and we're going to come back and rule and reign with him for a thousand years. That's what's about to happen. And, And part of the reason for this series is to give us hope. Jesus said, when you see these things begin to happen, look up. Don't look around and get depressed. Look up, get excited. Your redemption's drawing near, and I'm telling you that Jesus is at the door. Jesus is coming, and it's announcing it. But let me talk about what's about to happen in Israel, and we know what's about to happen. One is the Gog and Magog War. There are actually two wars uh, one is really already started, it's the Psalm 83 war, which is a regional war. If you wanna read about the details, it's in Psalm 83, but it's a regional war between Israel and her neighbors and Israel routs her enemies, so much so that Damascus, Syria is wiped off the face of the map, basically. The other war is a larger war, which is the Gog and Magog war, which is prophesied in Ezekiel 38 and 39. And here's what it says about this war. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and prophesy against him and say, Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. I will turn you around, put hooks in your jaws, and lead you out with all your army, horses, and horsemen, all splendidly clothed, a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya are with them, all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer and all of its troops. The house of Togarma from the far north and all its troops. Many people are with you. Prepare yourselves and be ready, you and your companies that are gathered about you. And be a guard for them. After many days you will be visited. In the latter years you will come into the land of those brought back from the sword and gathered for many people on the mountains of Israel, which had long been desolate. They were brought out of the nations, and now all of them dwell safely. You will ascend, coming like a storm." covering the land like a cloud, you and all of your troops and many people with you." Well, this is a prophecy about a war that has not happened yet, but is about to happen. It's happening right before our eyes. The the setup is happening before our eyes. Well who are these nations? Well Gog Magog, that is Russia, okay. Um, Persia is Iran. It says Persia here, Uh, Iranians are not Arabs, they're Persians. And this also includes areas of Iraq and Afghanistan. Ethiopia is the Sudan, that is northern uh, Africa. Algeria, Turkey is Togarma, and there are other nations involved. Now, when Ezekiel wrote this prophecy, the religion of Islam didn't exist. Islam did not uh, begin until the 7th century AD. So he didn't realize what he was describing was the current uh, Muslim world that is radicalized against Israel. Russia is helping Iran to build their nuclear facilities. Now Iran says that they're building their nuclear facilities because they want better energy. Listen to what I'm saying. It is not Iran, it is the Islamic Republic of Iran and the Iranians and ISIS, and ISIS is an Islamic state, they believe that they have been called by Allah now, right now, to destroy Israel and usher in the end times they are vowed to destroy Israel. That's why they should never get any serious weaponry. We should never allow them to have nuclear technology. And years ago, when Saddam Hussein was also very anti-Israel, he was building a, a nuclear reactor and Israel bombed his reactor, and they should have. And it stopped him from gaining nuclear technology. Uh, reports in the news were that Israel was planning on bombing Iran last year, and the Americans, we told Israel last year, if you try, we'll shoot your planes out of the sky. So Israel is isolated in the Middle East. We've changed our policy related to, our official policy related to Israel. We've always been uh, their best friend. We, we've always, they've always been our best friend, but things are changing now. And I'm not saying for you and me, but I'm saying officially as a nation, we're no longer standing with Israel. So they're isolated in the Middle East. ISIS now controls half of Syria, very aggressive, and they're vowed to Israel's destruction as are many of the nations around them. But isn't it interesting that this book that we carry over 2,500 years ago told exactly the geopolitical reality of the day that we live in and all those nations exist all those nations are in union with each other and all those nations hate Israel you say well how is this war going to start well, let me give you the King Jimmy version of this the okay Israel Israel has to defend themselves they cannot let the Iranians get nuclear technology because they also have intercontinental ballistic missiles that they can deliver them with okay, as does North Korea and so they cannot let Uh, Them get this technology It it is an existential threat to Israel So I'm saying this is my personal opinion Israel's going to bomb Iran These these people are powerful Israel's more powerful than all the Middle Eastern Countries combined And they have got very sophisticated weaponry And they're brave And they have resolve And the day is going to come very soon That they have to bomb Iran For their own preservation Russia has said openly If you bomb Iran we're coming after you Now God says here in Ezekiel, I'm going to put a hook in your jaw and I'm going to drag you down to the mountains of Israel. And by the way, Ezekiel 38 goes on to say, when all these nations invade Israel, Israel will not shoot one bullet. God says, I'm going to personally kill you myself. This is God's answer to the Islamic jihad. And it will take seven months to bury the dead and seven years to clean up the debris. That's how bad it will be. God says, I'm going to put a hook in your jaw. Well, what is a hook in a jaw? A donkey, stubborn donkeys, didn't want to do what their masters told them to do. So the master had a stick with a hook on the end of it, and if the donkey didn't do what it said he wanted it to do, he stuck the hook in the jaw of the donkey and drug it around. And God says, let me tell you something, Russia. Let me tell you something, Iran. Let me tell you something, all you Islamic countries that want to destroy Israel. I'm in control of you. And at the time that I'm ready, I'm going to put a hook in your jaw. I'm going to drag you down the mountains of Israel. I'm going to kill you myself. On account of my people Israel, they hate Israel. They're vowed to Israel's destruction. And God's going to have a response. It could happen this afternoon. All the nations are present and accounted for. All of them are aligned and all of them hate Israel. It's happening right before our very eyes. Another thing that's about to happen is a seven-year covenant with the Antichrist. And, and remember now that in the 1940s, six million Jews were killed by the Germans, by the Nazis. And in response to that, the world had sympathy for Israel, and the United States voted in May of 1948 to allow Israel to be a nation in response to this persecution. I believe that the covenant that Israel will make with the Antichrist will be in response to the Gog and Magog War. And again, that's my personal opinion, but I'm right. This is, and I'm humble too. Uh, this is Daniel 9 talking about the abomination of desolation. He, this is the, the Antichrist, shall confirm a covenant with the many, that's Israel, for one week, that's seven years. But in the middle of the week, three and a half years into the seven year tribulation, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate even till the consummation which is discerned is poured out on the desolate. Here's what Jesus says about this in Matthew 24, and, and Jesus emphasizes this very strongly. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the Dan- Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, let him who is on the housetop not go to, down to take anything out of his house. Let him who is on, in the field not go back to his house to get his clothes. But what are those who are pregnant, those who are nursing babies in those days? Pray that your flight may not be in the winter on the Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation such as not happened since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be, and unless those days were shortened, no flesh would have been saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. So Jesus says, refers back to Daniel and says, when this happens, the, the tribulation is the last seven years of human history. We will not be here. I believe that the rapture happens before the tribulation. I'll talk about that next week. But the tribulation is broken into th- to two parts. There's the first three and a half years where the Antichrist arises in the middle, and the t- temple is rebuilt in Israel. In the middle of the tribulation, the Antichrist goes into the temple, proclaims himself God. That is the abomination that makes desolate. And Jesus said, and then the greatest tribulation in the history of the world will begin right then for the last three and a half years, the seven years of tribulation, the last three and a half years of the great tribulation, Jesus said, unless those days have been cut short, no flesh would have survived it. Okay, so this is Second Thessalonians. This is Paul describing the same thing. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin, this is the Antichrist, is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Okay, So there's going to be an agreement with the Antichrist and in the middle of that agreement, that seven-year covenant with Israel, he's going to go into the temple proclaiming that he's God and stopping sacrifices, and then literally the world erupts into the Great Tribulation. Here's the third thing that's about to happen. There's going to be a rebuilt temple in Israel. There cannot be an abomination of desolation without a temple. And so let me, let me tell you what I believe is about to happen, and that is when you go back to the blood moons of 1949 and 1950, the Holy Land was restored. Okay. When you go back to the blood moons of 1967 and 68, the Holy City was restored. What are the blood moons about right now? I believe the Holy Temple is about to be restored. Right now in the Knesset and also among the Orthodox Jews, there's a movement to allow the Jewish people to go up to the Temple Mount and begin to pray. The Temple Institute and other organizations are ready right now to rebuild the Temple. I believe in response to the Gog and Magog War and aggression against Israel, the Antichrist is going to make a covenant with Israel and allow them to rebuild the temple. And however it happens, there's going to be a rebuilt temple. But this, this is happening right now in the time that we're living in. And when they rebuild that temple on the Temple Mount, the abomination of desolation is going to take place. But here, here's what I want to end this message by saying. God in his mercy has given us prophecy to tell us what's about to happen. And we can comfort ourselves, say, I've got five grandchildren. I don't want them growing up in this world. I really don't. And I'm so glad they're not going to have to. I'm glad that Jesus, and I'm not an escapist. I'm just just into reality. And that is, this world is at a tipping point. It's getting worse and worse. And the answer is not politicians or government. The answer is the return of Jesus Christ. He's the only one that's going to solve our problems. What does all this mean? It means that our God is in control, number one. It also means that our Bible is true. And it also means that Jesus is returning. I want you to stand with me if you would. And I want you to bow your head. And I want you to be encouraged today that Jesus is coming. Bow your heads if you would. Lord, we we see what's happening in the world today and it can be just demoralizing to think about living in a world that is just getting worse and worse and worse, and we're so thankful that we don't have to. And we rededicate our lives to you right now, Jesus. As believers, we dedicate our lives to living for you, to putting our eyes on you, and to prepare our hearts and our lives for your return. You've warned us, you've given us signs, you've given us your word, And Lord, we have everything that we need to live as a people prepared for the times that we're living in. And we're praying between now and the time that you come that we'll take as many people with us as we can, that we'll share the gospel with as many people as we can, that you'll give us a holy boldness to live for you and to open our mouths and to proclaim your gospel. And We pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Would you keep your head bowed there if you would for just a minute. If you're here, in this service, or maybe you're at another campus or service or in the overflow or one of our affiliate churches, I want you to bow your head if you would. But if you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, Jesus died for you on the cross, he paid for your sins, and now as a gift of grace, no one deserves this, but as a gift of grace, he will forgive you of your sins and give you the gift of eternal life. Instantly, as you open your heart to him, the Bible says if you'll confess Jesus as Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. That's all it takes. If you'll just make Jesus the Lord of your life, if you'll step down from the throne of your heart and ask Him to step onto the throne of your heart, instantly He'll forgive you of your sins and give you the gift of eternal life, and He will come into your life to have a personal relationship with you, regardless of what you've done, regardless of where you've been. This is the most important decision you'll ever make in all of eternity. And if you're not sure right now, That if you died right now or Jesus came right now, that you'd go to heaven. This is for you. Bow your head. Close your eyes. Nobody's looking around. I'm looking around. The service leaders, the campus pastors are looking around. but Nobody else is looking around. If you want to give your life to Jesus right now, I want you to acknowledge that by raising your hand and saying, Jesus, I'm giving you my life right now. I ask you to come in to be my Lord and Savior. God bless you. Raise your hand real high. God bless you. Anybody else? Raise your hand real high and say yes to Jesus. God bless you, God bless you, God bless you, God bless you. Raise your hand real high. All the campuses, all the services, raise your hand. Your service leaders looking for your hand. Just keep it up there for just one more second. If you haven't raised your hand, raise it right now. I'm gonna wait just another second or two for you. Raise your hand high and say yes to Jesus. Anybody else? God bless you back there. You would put your hands down if you would and look up here at me. And I, we celebrate what you just did. It is phenomenal. The, the Bible says the angels in heaven are rejoicing right now because of what you just did. And so we rejoice with you. And there's. One more thing that I wanna do, for all of you who just raised your hand or still want to make this decision to receive Christ, I would like to pray over you. I wanna give you an opportunity to make public what you just did privately. You don't have to come by yourself. You can bring a friend or a family member with you, but I'm gonna ask you if you would in just a second to step out of the aisles very quickly to walk down here and let me pray a prayer of blessing over you. And this again includes all the services, all of our affiliates, wherever you are, I want you to boldly step out, and you just made a private decision, but now I want you to make the decision that you're gonna live your life boldly for Jesus Christ. And you're gonna tell somebody what you just did. And of course, this is a big support group here for what you just did. But if you just raise your hand or you want to come to receive Christ, I wanna pray a prayer of blessing over you. I want you to step out right now. You can bring somebody with you, you be the first. You step out, walk down here. We're gonna celebrate with you what you just did. Come on. All the campuses, services, step out, come on. You come down, celebrate what they're doing. It's a big deal. We'll wait for you, come on, come on, come on. A lot of you raise your hands, you come. Come on down, come down. We'll wait for you. Give them a big hand. Anybody else? Come on, we'll wait for you, there's time. Give them a big hand. You can still come. Come on. Well, let's pray for them. Stretch your hands out if you would, all of our campuses and services. Father, we bless our new brothers and sisters in Christ in the name of Jesus. We are thrilled to have them in our family. And we pray right now that you will bless them, that you will be over them and in them in a powerful way that they will sense your presence right now. You'll give them the grace to change, that you'll change their desires and change their lives in a radical way. And we pray that the reason that you made them in their mother's womb, that your perfect purpose for them will be fulfilled. But we're so thankful to have them in our family and we receive them as our new brothers and sisters in Christ in Jesus' name. And all God's people said,